Hi, I'm Francis Hellier, and welcome to my brand new podcast, Metaverse. This is a podcast for the future-minded, a series for anyone on the hunt for the next big thing and all its possibilities and implications. This is Tomorrow's World Today. With each episode, I will chat to those at the top of their fields, from futurists in crypto and space travel to forecasters in business and tech. Together, we will ask the question, what's next? Today, I'm joined by Shara Evans, technological futurist and founder and chief executive of Market Clarity. Founded in 2006, the award-winning technology analytics firm provides insight, intelligence, and advice on all aspects of the telecom and emerging technologies markets. Named by Forbes as one of the world's top 50 female futurists in March 2020, she was one of the few technology futurists featured in this list and is a regular speaker and media commentator on technology issues. Fusing an engineering background with an understanding of how society will respond to new technologies, Shara's future tech research covers everything from smart cities and robots to jobs of the future and space travel. Shara, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Francis. And wow, what a long intro. If I had known you were going to read all that, I would have given you something a whole lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's plenty to say. So let's start at the beginning. What got you into futurism in the first place and why a technology focused futurist? Well, for my entire adult career, um, and even before, like when I was a little kid, I've always been interested in technology and science fiction. And I started my career as a software engineer designing telecommunications networks and quickly rose up the ranks, um, got involved in a lot of industry organizations from a very early age. And because of that, I got to network with CEOs around the world when I was in my very early 20s. And I very quickly took the view that technology is actually an enabler for business. And even though I was a software engineer and designing telecom protocols and doing all kinds of really deep techie stuff, my interest was in how can companies use this technology for business advantage? What is this technology actually doing for us? And why should companies make this investment in it? And that's actually been a lot of the driving force in my career as I went from software engineer to lead architect, you know, running big staffs of programmers to becoming a program manager and eventually director of program management, deploying networks all over the world, um, moved from the US where I was born to Australia because I had been in charge of Asia Pacific for a multinational company and they wanted me to come out here and help them start the then at the time newfangled thing of data networking because they weren't really into that as a product portfolio at the time and I helped them to move into that area and along the way I continued to do what I love to do, which is research where technology is going and what are the business applications. And I found by taking that approach, I was actually providing advice that was a lot different to what the strategic consultancies of the time were doing. And my clients, a lot of them were carriers and other really major organizations said to me, hey, Shara, you know, you're actually providing us with advice that we're not getting out of the big consultancies. Why don't you start your own tech analyst firm? So I founded my first company in 1997 and I sold it um, and continued to run it 
for three years to a publicly listed company is still going strong today. And then in 2006, I started Market Clarity. And at the time, it was still very much focused on the telecom space, but eventually moved more into the whole emerging technologies world. And in about 2014 or so, I shifted my focus to becoming a technology futurist and eventually full-time keynote speaker because I had started to develop this track record over many decades of calling next big things. And the reason I was able to do that was a combination of technology background, but also looking at the business case, looking at what was happening in the research labs, looking at where money was being invested, and then using my very out of the box thinking um, imagination into looking at multiple timelines and then trying to center on the one that I thought would be the one that is most likely to occur and saying, this is what I think is going to happen. And it turned out a lot of what I thought was going to happen eventuated. And my clients started calling me a futurist. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to embrace that. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change what I do for a living and become a professional futurist. And that's what I do now. Amazing. So let's let's take a look at some of the latest technology trends. For example, obviously blockchain, Internet of Things, 5G. What's having the most impact in your opinion? How can we harness these new technologies in business? Oh, look, the two technologies that you named, you know, blockchain, Internet of Things, they're very interesting technologies. And a certain and Internet of Things is certainly super important because it covers everything. Really, we're talking about sensors literally everywhere, whether it be on smart cities, you know, in the gadgets that all of us have um, built into machinery, you name it. Blockchain is a really specific um, technology, mainly used in the financial markets now, but it has a lot of other applications. But if I were to take a big sort of rocket picture view of the technologies that I think will be most important, I would have to say the combination of artificial intelligence in all of its aspects, including robotics, and then combining that with this new nascent technology called quantum computing, which has the ability or the potential to really accelerate the power of the computing platforms that we're using. And if you put these two things together, then we start to see an acceleration in almost every kind of technology that you can imagine, whether it be advanced analytics, for, for instance, looking at your website analytics and in real time determining what your customers are doing and what your competitors are doing and getting really agile and moving in real time to things like facial recognition, to driverless cars, you know, to things like, you know, rocket ships that are able to land themselves again, again, because of amazing advances that have happened in that space as well. And that's just one of many different technologies. So I could actually go on and on. Um, another area that I'm super interested in is advanced healthcare because that impacts every single one of us as human beings. And I don't wanna bore you by just naming every single technology, but I'll just prattle off a couple that I think are like really cutting edge and some are just about here and others are a little bit longer off, 
So something called smart contacts, and that's been on the horizon, gosh, since the late 2010s, and it just keeps moving back and back. But I'm starting to see advances over the last year where it's starting to look like it's commercial. So if you can imagine, the promise is that everything that you've got on your smartphone plus augmented reality, instead of wearing glasses, you'd be wearing them in smart contacts, plus biotech and pharma applications all rolled up into contact lenses that you can have in your eyes and take them on and off. That's one really big area that I think is going to be a big revenue earner over, let's say, the five to 10 year period. There's point solutions that are starting to come onto the market, but it's not integrated yet. So it's going to be a while. Then there's stem cells. And, you know, most people, they look at the little bit of extra fat that they might have on their body and they think, ew, but that actually might be the key to extending your life or <laughs> to allowing you to have an organ transplant in, say, 10 years time that's made up with the cells from your own body. It fits your body perfectly. You're not taking um, organ rejection drugs for the rest of your life. You know, maybe you've got a bad burn and you need to just grow skin to patch up an area that otherwise would be disfigured. That's technology that's available here today. So that excites me. And then we get into areas like nanotechnology. And here we're talking about everything from nanobots, teeny weeny, weeny bitty robots that might be in our bloodstream and initially might do things like fight off COVID at the microscopic level and actually kill this darn disease to nanomaterials that have lots of different uses and might be super strong. And then there's genetic engineering. And wow, gosh, we can get into a whole conversation there, Francis, and just tell me when to stop. But what I would say with genetic engineering is that, look, there's really good stuff that can happen, but there are also some big, big ethical issues that we would need to take into consideration too. But imagine that you're talking about a disease like sickle cell anemia or cystic fibrosis. And I think most people would say, well, you know, if you could stop that disease from developing in the first place, wouldn't that be a good thing? Most people would say that's not really an ethical issue because you're not harming the fetus. You're actually letting a child grow and have a long and healthy life instead of having a life that might be curtailed because of the disease or might be ridden with a lot of pain and suffering. And surely you would choose to have the life that's a long, happy life rather than one that is not so happy. Where you get into the ethical choices are, well, what happens when you use it not to prevent a disease that's life impacting, but you know, maybe to make designer baby choices or to radically alter the way your body looks and functions. You know, there's a lot of discussion you can have on that. And gosh, I could just keep going on and on and on about technologies. And there's so many other areas I'd love to touch on, but I'm going to let you get a word in before I keep prattling. Oh, thank you, Shara. I think it's um, some, of the, some of the ideas and, and concepts you've mentioned are, are so exciting. And I think that one thing that tends to happen is when, when we have new technologies, when things are uh, straight out of the box, shall we say, uh, society tends to respond in very different ways, often with fear. Um, and some of the things you've touched on, 
uh, around genetic modification, for example, uh, people do respond negatively to this. How do we how do we manage and explain better um, the advantages of some of these new technologies? Yeah, that's such a tricky question. And, you know, so let's just take the example of what's happening right now with COVID and vaccines. And I think that's very timely yeah. and very, you know, top of mind for most people. So here in Australia, there's a really big push for everyone in the population to be double vaccinated. Um, we started a bit later than in the US and some other countries. So we're a little bit behind the A curve. In the US, they're talking about triple. And today I was even hearing about fourth, you know, potential fourth booster vaccines. Here in Australia, they're trying to get to where they've got at least 80% of the population that's had the double jab, as they call it. But when you start thinking about that, and you marry that with this idea that, well, if you don't have these two vaccines, then you're not gonna be able to travel between state borders. You may not be able to travel internationally. In some places like the United States, there are companies that have said, if you're not vaccinated, you're losing your job. Um, and, you know, we're starting to get to that point where we're saying, hang on, you know, we want to stop the pandemic, of course, but where is that fine line between, you know, public good and the sanctity of what happens within our own bodies? And not only that, the thing that is equally, um, how should I say, fraught with danger is what happens with all of the data that gets collected along with getting the vaccine and having the certificate transmitted to all different kinds of companies that might want your proof of vaccination or the contact tracing apps that are coming out. I mean, just today I had two requests from companies that wanted to get a copy of my vaccine certificate. And Unfortunately, on the vaccine certificate, it also has my date of birth and other very confidential health stuff on there. So I don't have a problem with saying to people, look, I'm happy to share, you know, show you a copy of this, but I'm not going to give it to you and trust that you're going to keep this data secure, that your systems are not going to get hacked or breached, or that there might not even be someone inside your company that has some nefarious plans how can you possibly know? So it's a double-edged sword when it comes to almost any of these new technologies. And, you know, how do you think about selling the idea to the public, but also protecting people from accidentally getting into harm's way? What advice would you give to organizations uh, to help them think outside the box and, and imagine the world in, say, 10 or 20 years' time? Well, the very first thing, um, I was listening to a number of your podcasts. You've had some great futurists in previous Thank issues. Thank you. Um, or previous editions, I should say. And I'd say for any company that really wants to understand out-of-the-box thinking, if you listen to people in the futurist community, you know, we are the out-of-the-box thinkers. We're the kinds of people that are in the field of strategic foresight, and we tend to think 5, 10, 20, 25 steps ahead and think about what the world is going to look like in a whole range of different scenarios. And there's 
lot of consensus among the futurist community about what the world is going to look like. You know, we all have our own different disciplines. I'm a technology futurist. Someone else might be a geopolitical specialist. Someone else might be an economist. But if you listen to the views of people who do this as a profession, you're going to start getting a lot of ideas that you may not have been exposed to. I'd also encourage people to really listen to a lot of science podcasts. And again, you'll be exposed to a lot of ideas, some of which you may not agree with. And that's your prerogative because, you know, even in the science community, like for instance, virology, you'll get experts that have diametrically opposed opinions about what's going on with something like COVID. But if you listen to enough of these things then you can start to form your own opinion and it will start to change the way that you view the world if you get exposed to enough different ideas. I'd also really encourage people to look at how different vertical industries, say completely different from whatever industry they're in, have deployed technology, whether it be artificial intelligence or augmented reality or virtual reality or 3D printing or almost any technology that you can think of. Look at how other industries are using it and see where the parallels are with whatever it is you're doing in your industry and in your company and how you can sort of take that, twist it around a little bit and maybe use it to your advantage. And that's where you start to become a bit of an out of the box thinker because you're now taking in this gestalt of ideas from a range of different sources, not just one, you know, it's not just the company line, but you're now taking in a lot of different thinking and then you can share it with other people. And that's the beauty about the internet and, you know, things like the videos that we're producing today and podcasts and all of this information, it makes it really accessible and people do like to listen to things and watch things rather than reading really lengthy articles. And it's very easy to listen to some of these ideas when you're driving in the car, when you're cooking dinner, you know, like at almost any time when you have a little bit of leisure time, you can listen to something interesting and get some new ideas. Absolutely. Hopefully Metaverse, this podcast will be the one that uh, people will, will tune into um, to get to get this information and uh, hopefully it's uh, inspiring to people about all the conversations we've been having about the future and, and different things. Um, let's touch on one of the areas you you mentioned earlier as, as a very exciting technology that's been used right now, artificial intelligence. Again, something that could be used for wonderful things and, and perhaps some terrible things down the line. How yes. do you think this will shape into the future and what are the huge opportunities for us as well? Well, look, this is a technology that's such a huge umbrella term, and it encompasses everything from big data analysis and pattern recognition to things like chatbots, to smart robots, to facial recognition and image recognition and gesture awareness, being able to track your eyeballs to control augmented reality glasses and eventually smart contacts to so many other different things. And it's being woven into all kinds of different software platforms, especially agile development platforms. There are a lot of behind the scenes 
pieces of software that incorporate AI. So for instance, I've just um, moved home and have bought CCTV cameras to augment the security I have inside the house. I want to see what's happening outside as well. And in my CCTV cameras, it's got AI built in that is able to pick out the difference between a human moving around my house, which is not a good thing necessarily, or a bird or an animal or something else that I really don't want to get alerts for. And it's starting to become pervasive in a lot of the gadgets that we use. In fact, every time you talk to your smartphone or one of your devices, it's using an AI technique called voice recognition. And it can be used for, you know, translating between languages in real time, to going voice to text, to allowing people to interact with chatbots, to using huge databases with techniques like machine learning or deep learning. The danger there is that as you get these humongous databases, you know, like we're talking terabytes of data, Francis, how is any human going to go through terabytes of data and determine whether there's a wrong information or be, you know, social bias or something that has to do with hate mongering or just, you know, misinformation, you know, deliberately planted. So that's where you have this combination of humans working with AI using techniques like reinforcement learning to be able to sort out the wheat from the chef and to make sure that we're using AI as a productive tool rather than letting AI tell us what to do. So I see that it's this combination of AI doing stuff that us humans aren't really good at doing, which is processing humongous amounts of data, but also having a human in the loop so that we're making the right ethical decisions and that we're actually involved in the outputs and if we don't have a view as to what's happening, we need to be able to keep looking at the outputs, which are constantly going to change, and make sure that it actually reflects the values of us as an individual or a company or whatever use it is that we're putting this AI to. And what about robots? That's obviously a very exciting oh, area too. Yeah, anyone anyone that's grown up watching sci-fi is always about robots, isn't it? Um, what are the possibilities oh, sure. in, in your mind uh, around robots? First of all, I have to say I've been a robot geek since I was <laughs> not even old enough to walk. Okay, <laughs> I grew up on science fiction, and I've had the um, genuine pleasure of spending a lot of time in research labs where robots are designed and talking to roboticists. And they're, they come in all different shapes and size. So if you think of robots, you might be thinking of, you know, something like the Terminator, you know, humanoid type. But let me tell you, most robots don't look like that. Yes, there are some companion robots. But if you look at things like agriculture, you'll see robots that look a whole lot like farming machines, but they're loaded up with sensors. So here we go back to IoT and they're able to spot, you know, things like nutrients in the soil and fungus and weeds and when, a, you know, how what the harvest is going to be and do spot picking of fruit or being able to predict how much labor you're going to need to be able to do a harvest and mash it in with a whole bunch of data. Then we get drones, um, you know, 
that roboticists like to call them flying robots. They hate the word drone. But, you know, here we're talking about everything from the sort of hobbyist stuff that you might buy at, you know, your local electronics store and have a play around your house to these huge flying machines that are essentially like helicopters and capable of carrying people and might someday be one of the next modes of future transport that we have, which is another area that I'm into. Then we get to driverless cars. Guess what? They're robots. And we've been using robots in our cars for probably 15 to 20 years. The first one was probably for self-parking and then, you know, adaptive speed, um, cruise control. And all of these things are robots driving our cars, but they don't look like robots. They're just pieces of software that happen to be fit into the electronics of the cars that we're accustomed to driving. So a lot of this starts will start to get introduced into our lives in ways that we don't necessarily think of it as threatening. I've had a robot vacuum cleaner for probably 10 years now. And if you saw it, it looks like, you know, a little tiny flat flying saucer, but it's a robot, you know? So they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And there are robots that are designed for kids to learn how to program. You know, there's there's so much. Um, I could talk about robots all day. Oh, robots are cool. We agree, we agree on that. <laughs> what does the uh, what does the future hold for you, Shara? Oh gosh, you know it's constantly changing. You know, COVID has had a massive impact on so many industries, and my primary focus over the last number of years has been as a professional keynote speaker. So as you can imagine, you know, live events have not been taking place. So I've learned to become a virtual speaker and you know have a virtual studio. I'm actually not in my studio right now. I'm just in my office, but it's changed the shape of what I do day to day as a futurist. And I'm continuing to learn all kinds of new skills. I now have services like being a virtual futurist in residence for companies where instead of having me, let's say as a full-time member of your board of directors, you might engage me on a one-off basis or on an annual basis or on you know some other agreed timeframe to be the person that's your over the horizon strategic planner that helps you navigate through these very uncertain times. And believe me, these times are more uncertain right now, Francis, than we can even imagine. And a lot of it is so hard for us futurists to predict because the pandemic is taking a lot of twists and curves. If we were looking at early this year, it was starting to look like we were on top of the pandemic and we were going to come out of it. And then along comes the Delta variant and whoosh, you know, everything is back in lockdown. And if we have another variant, who knows what might happen, you know, so having someone who's got that ability to think outside the box and to know technologies, I think is going to be really important for companies and to be able to access that on an ad hoc basis, I think is going to be a valuable service. So, of course, I offer consulting services and speaking services, and we'll continue to expand the repertoire of services that utilize my knowledge base and talents to my clients. So, Shara, it's been uh, fantastic having this conversation with you. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Metaverse with me, Francis Hellier. Tweet us at MetaversePod with any suggestions or feedback. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please do share a link on social media. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, metaverse.fm.